junior year, 2008 to 2009. Hello again. After transcribing many pages out of my day journal, well, all of the pages out of the journal itself, but the actual number within this story is well, as many has have simply preceded this. So why, in the midst of trying to focus on the development of my heart, should I waste my time reflecting on what seemed like an otherwise uneventful summer? Why waste anyone's time, especially my own, with some of my most poorly constructed writing that I could find? An artifact that probably doesn't even match my reasoning and writing abilities from the third grade. Why reflect upon it now? After we endured the transcript, I think these are questions of importance. Just as I find that my journal helped me categorize days and determine what was meaningful to me, some days are more memorable than others, and other days just have a very clever title. Either way, it was a process to help me remember what happened. The questions that arise in my mind while I write this down now and not particularly at the beginning of 11th grade, we're getting there, hold on tight or loosely, are why was my dictation, structure, etc. so poor? Why did I hide most of the meaningful revelations from the reader of the journal? Why did I want to remember that summer in the first place? Ultimately, what changed over that summer? I cannot clearly say why my presentation was subpar. However, I may speculate. The audience of the journal was merely myself. I did not have to write anything to sound special or something that I could look back on for inspiration. The whole purpose was merely to name days and to place a label with a reason for being awake. On the other hand, I had entered a stage where I was beginning to harden my heart, as I noted that the world had done within my oratory, and the idea of feeling and thinking, of extending the whole of my body to make a description and a catalog of the day just seemed like both too much effort and too much emotion. I didn't want to care anymore than just enough to complete what I asked myself to do. Along similar lines, I clearly show within certain days that I think about things of depth and importance. Specifically, after watching Rain Over Me, I remember crying and thinking for a while before I wandered off to bed. But although some notes attempt to show these thoughts, they are a bare minimum and in an almost shorthand in what appears to be fear that someone else would find the journal. Yes, I was so scared that someone else might be able to get hold of my thoughts and feelings that I could not even permanently verbalize them to myself. Everywhere in the past, when I tried to express myself or state my emotions and what I had cared for, more often than not, I was written off as wrong 
or misguided, or any of the other attempts that shattered my dreams instead of reinforcing my ability to share with others. After leaving my oratory in mid-April, I was forced to find a new pathway to walk for my life. I needed to find meaning. I had thought about writing an oratory about how we never take time to look at the stars, but I hardly had more than a few points thrown together before I gave up trying to repeat the past. Everything that had happened to me in the past, I reasoned, would never happen to me in the same way again, and I needed to be able to move on. So why did I keep the journal? I could say to document my feelings, but that didn't happen. Using a quote from my Facebook message with Rebecca, I needed to make memories and focus on the present in order for me to take my near hopeless mentality into the future. The change over the summer was about as unmeaningful as any other summer. However, the period marked a shift between eternal hope and eternal despair. Where I had once believed that humanity may not always be good, if you needed someone to help, if you needed a friend, then you would be able to find one. But after reciting my oratory and asking, begging, for someone to be my friend, and after slowly losing those who had taken their time to befriend me, mainly on Facebook. I lost faith in either myself to make friends or in God to provide me with people that I could be compatible with. This shift in hardening my heart and rejecting the ideology of the solution, second to last paragraph of my oratory, was occurring as I was rejecting the very idea that it had been my focus for the previous year. Moving on. I had not lost all hope. Not yet, anyways. My logic went back through the possibilities that lay before me, particularly from the idea of getting a girlfriend. Making a girlfriend within my school was out. I had chosen the most strategic girl in Rebecca and had failed miserably, and the few whom I was in contact with over Facebook had either started to fade away or were never going to be committed enough to be there as a friend, let alone more. The past held others whom I could try to reconnect with. Caroline had talked with me on Facebook, but I held short of holding her responsible for saving me again. Her time had passed, and although I could not argue that I would not have been more than overjoyed to be her best friend, again, I couldn't force her or place any requirements on her. I loved her too much. Rose had actually ended up dating one of my friends, and besides, it was a different type of feeling there anyways. More of a fear than anything else. Haley had never been my friend to begin with. Jordan had faded away into someone who thought I was just a creep. Robin and Holly both slowly faded away on email connections that I had with them and joined the long list of people who I had talked with, but who had slowly faded away into nothing. Everything that has been discussed previously within this text, except for the fact that family has to be there, God will always work in our lives, and fat bellies still turn me on, to build up to my being was, almost it seemed, meaningless in pushing forward socially. Thank you.
A brief summary of the other social changes that occurred within this time period also needs noting. Although Evan didn't move in with our dad, he had wanted to because he did not want to live with our mom any longer. He did become a larger part of my social interactions. This irony occurred because he came into more of my classes. He was in none of my classes sophomore year. He got more involved with the debate side of debate, and we constantly hung out together at our house with Kevin and Harry. The private year of reflection was over, and now I was forced to socialize on somebody else's terms, something that I'm not really a fan of, although I can adjust to Evan's terms for a certain amount of time. Kevin and Harry had been over to the house a little bit sophomore year, particularly when we played a lot of backyard soccer to help Evan and Logan get in shape to try out for the school soccer team. Projects and playing Guitar Hero had emerged as fun ways to get together and we slowly developed our house as the hangout spot. But despite this increase in socialization, I only continued my feelings of isolation. As guys hardly talk about emotional or problems within our lives, either we're too afraid to let someone in and mess up our interpretations of the world, or we don't want to look weak to our friends by asking for help. We're grown individuals. We should be able to handle things ourselves. Kevin was better at this isolation than I was, and Evan and Harry aren't particularly known for their compassion at times of crisis. As primary sources, I have primary sources in my life. Yeah, that's right. Help to show my feelings at this time. I wish to share the essay that I quilled at this time for English on my goals before I graduated high school. Although my actual list included becoming an Eagle Scout, getting a girlfriend, reading me and my vice, and newest, finding a ways to pay for college. What every human needs. Every day seems to be nothing special. Just another echo in a crowded room. The people of the room, of the world, of our lives, make our existence worthwhile. Alone, I am just a person in nothingness. The end of high school is approaching, and this end, like all ends, will determine my bravery, my accomplishments, and who I have become. My goals before I graduate high school are to become independent, to find what makes me happy, and to make friends that help me in my life. The basis of happiness comes from within a person. I must be independent. I cannot rely on other people for my enjoyment in life because people in life do not always have to be there for me. Instead of being dependent on other people's opinions, I need to be able to accept myself for who I am. Being an imperfect human, I can never be perfect because nothing in the world is completely evil or completely good. The only person I can be is me. Even if I don't like where I stand, I have to accept my place in the world. If only I could smile and laugh, then surely I would be a better man. Over the years, sorrow and pain have made my emotions numb to the outside world. If I do not love or care about anything in the world, then I will be absent of the pain and sorrow associated with loss. 
I'm unable to enjoy myself to my fullest extent because I'm afraid to feel emotions. Finding a hobby would build my happiness because I would be able to enjoy an activity without the disheartening disapproval of watchful eyes. The ability to care about an activity offers a promise of happiness, but friends offer an even greater possibility. I need friends to guide me through my days, to be a distinguishable voice in the chaos of the world. Without relationships, humans have nothing to engage themselves in except mindless, inanimate objects. The possibility for emotions and feelings is nearly impossible. I need to open up my life so that I will be able to talk to people and to have meaningful relationships. Friends will be able to help me feel and accept who I am because they can become encouraging lighthouses in a sea of babble. The pressure to conform to society is great. But we can only change ourselves and our lives with people at our side. In life that constantly needs changing, I've set goals to identify where I need to change. Once I accept myself, I understand how to be happy and have a friend or two to trust in life, I will be better off. All in all, I did need the points outlined above. And although the main friend that I gained was not the lighthouse that I had hoped for, I did greatly develop relationships over the next two years that helped guide me to grow as a person. More importantly, as my decisions at the end of this year proved, I became more independent in my living and allowed myself to control my life instead of having to totally rely on other people's decisions. Although it's not as great as saying that I made Jesus and God the true foundation of my life, I started to observe what controlled my mentality in life and worked in ways to try and develop a sense of control. For hobbies, I already had some, but I let my confidence in myself, independence, define them in light of other people so that now I could play N64 or watch football with a developed passion for arena football by this point or write, or read, and learn, without having to feel bashful for my passion. However, with a growing disbelief in my previous knowledge of the world, and an ever-increasing desire to have some form of meaningful interaction in life, I needed something to place my hope in, so that I wouldn't be completely consumed by my pessimism and my doubts. I placed this hope in Holly. As the above sets the tone for, I needed hope, desperately. The only real person I saw that was a girl, but anyone for that matter as well, who would be willing to help me in my situation was Holly. See, after 8th grade, she moved to New Orleans and we talked over Neomail, but slowly faded away on our communications. 
I was desperate and needed to do something that would prove to myself, with my mom's constant nagging to do something, that I was trying to find someone in my life. So I figured that running away to New Orleans for a weekend and trying to locate Holly would be an exciting adventure. By the way, if any girl stalks me to wherever I'm at to come and find me, I'd think they're pretty cool and not a total stalker, like I'd come off as. But I'm weird like that. I needed something to hope. And she gave me a flame that couldn't be extinguished by any form of reality other than doing something incredibly stupid or the, the need being filled in another way, which seemed unrealistic. For whatever reason, maybe because we were actually friends, I placed Holly as a real symbol for hope in my life, similar to how Caroline is a symbol for love, although each are different in their own ways. My development of the plan was slow. I'm not the type of person to ever do anything irrational, and directly running away would go against so many of the natural principles that I live by. But I told myself, I have to do something, or at the very least, have something, anything to believe and to have hope for. I talked with Stephen about coming with me, and he seemed hesitant, but willing to cooperate if everything would somehow work out. However, I didn't end up going chasing after hope. Someone else found me. I shouldn't start off with the negatives first, or write Holly off with such a short and unexplained paragraph. So, well, look at the randomness that occurred to divert my path. See, just randomly at a debate tournament, I happened to meet this cute girl, Ashlyn Templeton. In one of my impromptu rounds, we both gave mediocre speeches, although I think she said she broke, but I'm still not clear on the details from her end. But we ended up talking between speeches and after the round, waiting on another competitor to show up, and I played my best hand because I was desperate for a girlfriend. But how was I supposed to know that it would amount to anything? I talked with girls in many rounds after this event, and I talked with many before. It wasn't uncommon, just people being friendly. After seeing each other around the debate tournament and just saying hi and nothing more, she somehow found me on Facebook and added me since I messaged everyone on Facebook looking for a friend, I figured I might as well see if she was willing to be friends or just added me out of courtesy. She did. Or at least a part of her did. After exchanging Facebook messages and actually calling her to help her with some homework, that's right, I called a girl. I'm the best. We saw each other at one of the other debate tournaments and hung out a little bit, but not too, too much. We then tried to meet up at the next debate tournament, but that epically failed because we didn't end up going to the same one, but I did end up talking with her for a couple hours that night waiting to leave, and I ended up nicknaming her Moon because I joked that I wanted to see her, but all I saw was the moon in the sky. So I pretended that it was her. Since neither of us broke in debate, we met up the next day at the movies, 
a long drive on both of our parents' parts because neither of us could drive yet. And we lived an hour apart. She lived about 10 minutes from my dad's house, though. And we saw the new James Bond movie. I really didn't like it, but she never seen any of the other ones and thought it was nice. Or at least said she enjoyed it. It was my first unofficial movie date, but I really couldn't watch the movie anyways. I was too distracted wondering if this girl next to me would freak out if I put my arm around her. know if it was that Sunday or the next. I do know it was November 16th, 2008. I worked as hard as I could on Facebook chat to try and see if she'd be willing to go out with me, telling her pretty plainly that if she asked, I'd say yes. I, however, was way too scared to even think about how I'd ask. So, while I was jamming out to my music, more particularly VeggieTales' Billy Joe McGuffey, she called me a couple minutes before midnight, and for the first time since Caroline, I had an actual girlfriend. The hopeless, desperate, non-social boy got a girlfriend. Although, I shouldn't be so hard on myself with the negativity. We chatted on Facebook. I particularly remember watching a Niners-Cardinals game on Monday Night Football and chatting about it on Facebook. And we call each other almost every night before we'd go to bed. Or before I went to bed, she'd sometimes stay up later. But initially, we both stayed up super late, and I actually stayed up some nights until 3 or 4 in the morning. Slowly, but surely, we talked and got to know each other, or bits and pieces anyways. She's always wanted me to tell her stories which I really didn't have any I could think of, so that usually didn't work out too well. On my end, it seemed whenever I tried to open up and say things that I was excited about, she really didn't care or condemned my ideas as silly or stupid. In my pessimistic retrospection, I'm not exactly sure what we talked about. But if we had a talent, we were terrific at talking about nothing and making it fairly exciting and wonderful. When I'd visit my dad's, we'd hang out, usually at her house. Notably, I remember sneaking away on a bike ride one time and going to a place where she chose where I got my first kiss. We were silly, simple, and cute. Neither really knowing what to do in the relationship, but she was willing to take the lead. At least a little bit. Although being influenced that males should lead more than females and being indecisive like me, we'd always get into disputes because neither one of us liked to make a decision. But we wore what we wore, though some people at my school made fun of her, even though they didn't know her, and were just using it as another joke to throw at me. I was still depressed, still unable to forgive the world for not reaching out to me, still feeling slightly alone in the world, but at least had something to distract me and hopefully develop into something to carry me on into the future. The rest of the story, I would hope that I portrayed the best side of our relationship above. I at least have a content smile on my face remembering so that you can see the happiness in case later I dwell on the negatives too much. However, there is a point that is unfortunately related to Ashlyn that I must finish up here. 
Although, ideally, I would like to be completely neutral on Ashlyn's behalf to protect her innocence and trust. There are a few points that I will make to explain myself. I would ask that you do not hold anything against her, as I'm sure I promised her in one sense or another that I wouldn't disclose such information, and I ask that you make the promise and commitment now as well, with the added addition to reserve judgment on her. If you can't make such a promise, then skip down to the paragraph being with all of my story. But I do greatly wonder why you're reading this if you're such a jerk that you can't. Yeah, I don't know how skipping that's going to work in this because you obviously can't just read the next paragraph. Well, good luck. <laughs> See, Ashlyn was a slightly chubby girl, not really fat, just as the bill that she was going to look chubby no matter how much she weighed. She had a nice little belly to complete herself. Even from the first times I looked at her on Facebook pictures, I thought she was really cute and totally super amazingly attractive. And as we slowly began to interact, to kiss, and to talk about sexual things, mostly at my insisting because it was always on my mind. I began to imagine and to think about just how sexy I really thought she was. She didn't share in my excitement over a fat woman and never really saw herself as super amazingly beautiful like I did, but with a little bit of pressure, I got her to try to satisfy me. I'd always had a thing for pictures and being in a long distance relationship, I got her to make some pictures of herself for me to enjoy. At first, she mixed some of her ideas about sexiness into the photos as well, because she really didn't understand mine, and that's all she could do. I'm not a fan of nudity, so it wasn't anything bad like that, just pictures that showed off who she was, or her with a little clothes on, or whatnot. She only had in total about six different collections for me, so it wasn't like she was that enthusiastic about it. But when I bugged her fairly consistently, she acted like any other person would and consented to my demands. I'm not proud that I pushed her in that direction, but I do admire her for being willing to trust me enough to send me the pictures and try to meet my needs, even if they were bad intentions. Later on, she took some photos where she stuffed her belly with some pillows, so they protruded out and looked really large and full. Like some of the pictures, you could hardly tell she had a larger belly because of the angle, and others got me so excited because it looked like she'd have to waddle around with such a huge stomach. If anything, it just got me more addicted to the idea of sex and my fascination with bellies. But truth be told, most videos and pictures I could find on the internet didn't match the cuteness or sexiness of the girl that I had as my girlfriend. Here was a girl who could balance being not too fat with appearing fat and gaining the benefits of both to suit me with an incredibly sexy girlfriend, at least in my mind. I'm sure other people would disagree, but since I'm being honest and this is about me, that's my viewpoint. When we saw each other, we gradually started kissing more and eventually made out when no one was around, when the backseat of her car. 
She wasn't completely opposed to doing things and made most of the first moves and holding hands and kissing and things like that because I was way too scared to do any of that. We never did anything drastic, like have sex or anything beyond cuddling and making out. But we were teenagers in a relationship, and both of us, in different ways, indulged ourselves in actions with the other that probably weren't the most appropriate. I will admit, though, I usually had little shame in doing any of this, while Ashlyn would usually express much more mixed emotions about what we did. Especially towards the end of our relationship, I tended to become much more obsessed about the sexual side of life, and this underwriting theme was not something I could be proud of, but at the same time, something that I didn't really have the ability to shake on my own. Within all of my stories so far, the one aspect that I ignore the most is family. It's just there. I don't really see it as influencing me, or at least I don't really bother to care how it does, because since my parents got divorced, I was in the position that I either had to like it or get out of whosever way I disagreed with. Although much of this tension died down after the birth of Ryan, other aspects of my family life began to eat away at my character. As my essay proclaimed, I desired to be independent. But what does this mean? I'm not precisely sure what I meant. But I guess my subconscious was longing for the ability to have some sort of control over my life. It seemed that teachers or peers or parents or my brother always ended up making decisions for me. And my choices were arbitrary at the most. If I tried to do anything, I wouldn't find anyone to support my crazy ideas. And they would fail, like my oratory although much more general and repetitive than that. This independence was not an independence of thought, from an introvert who pretty much keeps my thoughts to myself anyway. But the independence to have my confidence and support in attempting to do things, the ability to tie my happiness to myself and not to someone else's desires or wishes. My family always posed a problem for this. Being a twin and the non-dominant of the two, I grew up following what Evan said to do. It's not that I minded following other people. Just to be happy, I would like to act and care about some of my own desires as well. Throughout our schooling, Evan and I were always in the same classes, although less come high school. And we ended up making very similar friends. In fact, most of the friends who I had met First, became good friends with Evan as well, Logan, Steven, Eric, Harry, Kevin, etc. The ability to be independent of my friends was almost non-existent for any serious friendship I made. Evan ended up, one way or another, becoming involved. Similarly, Evan began to get more involved on the debate side of debate junior year, which decreased my personal territory in that matter. His constant joking, insults of how I sucked, and how he was better although he never gloated about qualifying for state and PF when Harry and I never got close in CX. Got to me after a while. Junior year, he was in most of my classes, and there really was no escape, no way to be independent of my twin brother. And something I longed for so greatly was once again put on hold as I was told to wait.
Evan also influenced, although being a teenage boy myself, I cannot blame him entirely for my anger, my dislike for my mother and my home environment. For reasons not exactly clear to me, Evan got it into his head that our mom didn't care about us, and so he'd take the liberty to do as he pleased and not really be concerned about her wishes. This didn't mean he did anything bad, just by feeling rejected he developed a total apathy for her concerns, which included finding her as the scapegoat for his problems. At the same time, I began to have a growing despise for my mother's inconsistent discipline and impossible to meet demands. It seemed no matter how hard I tried to please her, she still found something wrong with me to nag me about. And although this is the family structure I grew up in and was used to, after a while, it eats away at the heart. Congratulations and false praise or just words don't mean as much, or are never heard as loudly by children as the constant bickering advice. My mother had been drilling into my head how I needed to be more special, social, how I needed to get out of my room, to do this and that, for over six years, and I was tired of it. It's not that I hated my mother, but I hated that my actions weren't good enough, that I was always told to improve, and I needed to be independent in the fashion that I was the one determining what I wanted to do and not living my life for someone else. Something that I cannot do in a way that makes them happy. Finally, my friendships at school were nothing great. As sophomore year had seen hope emerge on the social front, junior year saw both the invasion of Evan and decreases in respect for my friends. The sophomores in the Bay got markedly better than me and refused to respect me as a friend because I was nothing to them but a lesser team member. I struggled myself to find my way in debate junior year, and as only Harry knows, lost it for a while. I had no inspiration. I'm really nothing to try for. Furthermore, I had few friends, other than Ashlyn, whom I was able to talk to, and even the extent of Ashlyn one could call into question. I was surrounded by people that I knew, and who knew me, but worst of all, I was alone. When one would point out how many people I knew, the acquaintances that I had, the friends who came over to my house, Kevin, Harry, Tanner, etc. I would always lose the argument that I didn't have any friends. But where were the people who cared about me? Why had I tried for the past year to reach out to everyone around me and no one extended a hand to help? Why had I asked and worked on how to be social with others, my oratory, only to fail at communicating and finding hope to believe in? I could trust the world for my salvation. That was noted with the completion and repression of my oratory. But now I was forced to find some other type of meaning and relationship in society, and I used all my connections. I'd already tried to befriend almost everyone, and one by one they had all slowly shown that they'd rather be somewhere else. And the friends that I did have, I couldn't trust that they cared enough about me to support me if I needed something serious. Like my brother, they'd attack any notions I had of feelings stupid or misguided. I was isolated. But worse than that, I was isolated among people who I considered friends, and that that is something that I cannot and refuse to live with. 
because I cannot live a lie. I need to know that my friends care about me, and if they don't, I need to leave before my heart gets hurt, before I descend into nothingness, because that is what I have become. After not needing to perform the drastic measure of finding Holly, I figured I should do something to ask the world. If you care, show it now. So I got the idea into my head that if I moved to my dad's house, I'd have less people breathing down my back, be adequately distracted until college, and at least have a legitimate reason for my isolation. So, following in the failed footsteps of my brother, I decided to pack up my bags and head off for my senior year at the Woodlands College Park High School, instead of staying one more year at Lamar Consolidated High School. I didn't really tell any of my friends or people I knew because I knew I was weak, and I didn't want them to talk me out of it because I was crazy. I chose something that I wanted to do. Without the bidding of the world, I was going to do what I knew I needed to do. I just needed a change because I couldn't keep doing the same old same. But I've been afraid for the longest time. Mainly because my mother judged me so harshly for my decision that I have to defend it and always present it as such. Although I'm starting to see that it's what I needed, or at least was beneficial. As the historic debate coach of Lamar Consolidated, Miss A left the team. I too left Lamar and the house I'd lived in all my life to move to the Woodlands, which was really my second home that I'd visited on the weekends. Kind of like an extended vacation for an entire year just with school and work. Being at my dad's, one of our neighbors owned a restaurant called Wingstop, like a fast food wing place, except they make the food fresh to order. And I got a job working there over the summer. As I stated before, I didn't know if I was going to stay at my dad's, so I only got a few hours and was just trained to do basic jobs in the kitchen, nothing fancy. I worked barely 10 hours a week and only had a job because I knew somebody, but I slowly began to grow and needed the slow pace at first to adjust to the self-direction required at a job. Although it probably would have helped me to be completely, instead of partially trained, I eventually found things I needed to do, learned how to be social at the register, and developed the personal skills needed to work in a fast food place. I also met some of the best people I could ever imagine working with. My manager, Kim, was a cool person enough, a normal white American who just wasn't quite smart enough. She always criticized herself for lack of intelligence, but she seemed no more dumb than most people I knew, and she knew how to do her job excellently. To go to college, and didn't have the money. So she ended up working her way up at Wingstop. She had two young kids at home, and I always had the sense about her that that's where she wanted to be more than anything else. All the long hours working and having to be someone else for the world, she also just put off the feeling that she'd be the type of person who would have been a really cute little girl when she was young. Like, she had been really good at being a kid, and now that she had outgrown her niche, she wasn't exactly sure what to do. And then there was my buddy Brian. 
He was the most talkative at first, and as my skills improved over my year of working there, I quickly realized his absent-mindedness made him focus more on his conversations than his job. He had a hobby of magic and a friendly and caring personality. He's a good guy, and thinking of him, I feel like I should probably drop him a text and see how he's doing. After Kim left, right before I left, Ryan became the manager of the store. So his boring, repetitive life got a little bit busier. He's the type of guy you just can't help but root for because he's rooting for you. The man who could always put a smile on my face was Big Jose. He used to own a farm down in Colombia, but for whatever reasons, ended up moving to America and working 80 plus hours a week to support his family. But despite being able to complain about tiredness with legitimacy and doing so on fair occasions, he'd always greet me and his job with more energy and excitement. that I knew how to handle. Instead of the traditional white boy and girl approach to a job where you're quiet and thoughtful and don't really care but need the money, Big Jose expanded Brian's talkativeness from mere conversations to an attitude that he cared about him that showed he cared about everything he did and everyone whom he came in contact with. As much as I made friends at Wingstop, seeing a person like him makes me admire life and respect him so much. If there's something I want to be when I grow up, I want to be like Big Jose. I want to be able to approach everything I do with a loving and cheerful nature and never be worried about respect or being tired. When I left Wingstop, as the tears on my face reminded me, I was sad to leave a person who reminded me so much that there was hope in people in the world. I'm so thankful to him that I can really express it in no other way than emotions. Tears. His quiet counterpart, although of no relation, was Little Jose. Little Roach. I gave him this nickname because that summer I started there, the Pirates had two brothers playing third and first base. The decent but passive first baseman, Adam LaRoche, always my brother's favorite, and the subpar, especially at hitting, third baseman, Andy LaRoche. I figured since there were two Jose's at Wingstop, I could at least make the analogy in my head, and at least for little Jose, the concept stuck in my mind. Oscar was the third Spanish-speaking person that worked there, but I didn't get to see him much during school because he only worked in the mornings. Even though none of the three of them spoke much English, we were still able to communicate fairly well with broken English and Spanish, and usually just communicated through emotions and gestures. Sometimes we'd have Brian translate for us, but it is amazing how much can be said without words. Rounding out the group was the good old thug DeMonte Harrison, so I don't ever forget. <laughs> he, he wasn't really a thug. He's just black and thought he was, or wanted to appear that he was. Literally how he described himself. Probably the best way to put it is he had a black attitude mixed with intelligence and middle class values that he had because he was my fellow student at an affluent school. Some days he'd find better things to do at work than work, but he wasn't lazy. He merely wished to do what he wanted to do, and he believed he was entitled to do so. Occasionally he'd listen to authority, not a rebel, just an independent thinker who thinks he owns the place. Anyways, a schoolmate companion at least. 
with goals and change and a girlfriend. Oh boy. Junior year marked an end of the old and a transition to the new, or at least the beginning of a transition year to college.